May the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah, Christ is risen. is still Easter, and it will be for a few more weeks. But we're no longer getting the stories of the resurrection of Jesus. This week's Gospel is set in Jesus' farewell speech. You might even get a picture of it. Or not. So this uh, passage is set in Jesus' farewell speech in John's Gospel as they gathered for his version of their last meal together before the arrest, trial, crucifixion, and then resurrection and ascension. And our second reading is about Jesus being stoned, which is always a great story to have. So the focus has shifted a little, hasn't it? The first few weeks were about the story of being Jesus being raised from death and the effect that had on his disciples. And now, it's more about how we experience the risen Christ amongst us now, active in our world. And it was about the mystery and awesomeness of the resurrection story, however we understand that. And now, it is an invitation to live resurrection lives ourselves. So to help us in all this, we have this well-known passage from John 14 which is too often, I think, read as establishing dogma about Jesus, rather than words of hope in the midst of darkness. In the darkness of those disciples gathering as the storm started to rage around them. And the darkness of John's little community struggling as the storm raged around them. Too often we read this passage on its own, divorced from the story it is set in, and divorced from the whole speech that is set in. So the speech is at least chapters 13 and 14, uh, and then John says they go, and then we have three more chapters of speech. So there's five chapters of speech all up. And this is just one part of that speech, let alone leaving it in its original context in John's Gospel. And I think we sometimes miss some of the hope and intent in Jesus' word, in Jesus' words and how John presents these words. So, as I say on some occasions, let's ignore that this is the beginning of a new chapter, which was put in much later, much later, uh, that when John wrote it, he didn't write his book with chapter headings and little other headings and verses and things. They were added much later on, uh, and the verse, verses are all pretty standard, but the little headings, they're just put there by the publisher. So they're even different depending on which version of the Bible you read. So they're not scripture at all. And... Let's put these verses back in the bigger story. And in the story that they are set in, Jesus doesn't start speaking here. He's already been speaking for about a minute, uh, for about a chapter, and he keeps on talking after this for another three and a half chapters. So just to note that this is John's version of the Last Supper, but there's no Eucharistic meal in John's Last Supper. Uh, 
so it's a bit different from the other three Gospels. And those disciples, as they gathered, knew that some very powerful people wanted Jesus dead. So this is a tense meal. The end is coming. And they're not sure what that will look like, and they're not sure what that will mean for them. They are filled with uncertainty and fear. I wonder what causes us uncertainty and fear at the moment. Just take a moment to think about that. So in John's Gospel, Jesus meets them as they arrive and he washes their feet, which, if we're honest, really confuses them. And then he says that one of them will betray him. And Judas goes out into the night. The darkness has come. More confusion and disbelief. And when Judas is gone, Jesus tells them that he is going somewhere where they cannot come. And that they are to love each other. Just as I have loved you, so you must also love each other. This is how everyone will know that you are my disciples, when you love each other. This will mark them out. But this isn't a rule. This is Jesus inviting them to respond to what is about to happen. In essence, he's saying, I am leaving you. Hold on to each other. Love each other. Well, Peter's having none of that. And he says, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I'll give up my life for you. To which Jesus replies, Will you give up your life for me? I assure you that you will deny me three times before the rooster crows. And then Jesus goes on and says, Don't be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. My father's house has room to spare. If that weren't the case, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And when I go to prepare a place for you, I will return and take you to be with me so that where I am, you will be too. Or to put it another way, even though you're going to deny me three times, there is a place for you in the heart of God and you will not be left behind. This is a comment to Peter and to us. To which Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus answers, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you have really known me, you will also know the Father. From now on, you know him and have seen him. And the conversation continues. So many well-known words, so often read on their own. I wonder what difference it makes to hear them in the conversation they are part of. Not as standalone words of dogma, establishing the belief system that you need to adhere to before you can get into heaven. 
but words of comfort to his struggling followers. I wonder what difference it makes to hear them in the context John gives them to us in. A context of broken relationships, doubt, confusion, exasperation. To which Jesus offers these words of comfort. Last week we heard that Jesus, we heard Jesus say of himself, I am the good shepherd. For this grieving and confused group of people lost in all that is happening around them, Jesus acts as the good shepherd, providing and protecting. So when we read these words and the words that follow, we need to remember that they are first and foremost words of compassion. Inviting those disciples and all who hear these words to trust all that they had experienced of Jesus. Jesus is not establishing theological dogma about who he is and who is in and who is out. He is offering reassurance that while they may feel like this is the end and what they have experienced is over, it is in fact the beginning. Even when all seems lost, even when Peter denies Jesus three times, even when they get it wrong, even then, there is a place in the heart of God for them. And Jesus will be with them. And even when we get it wrong, and all seems lost, even then there is a place in the heart of God for us, and Jesus will be with us. So I wonder in our uncertainty and fear at the moment, what these words offer us. Take a moment to think about that. We are not in Holy Week. We are in Easter. And so as we read these words in the Easter season, we are invited to ask a slightly different question. The question we are invited to ask in Easter is, how do these words help us see the risen Christ among us, active in our world today? How we read these words often hinges on how we understand the word, the words, the way. And I think mostly we understand that to be like a road. Certainly the internet thinks it's like a road. And you have to be on that road to get to heaven. And that road is certain beliefs about Jesus. So when I looked on the internet uh, for memes that I could use at this point of the sermon, uh, they all had pictures of roads or bridges. That's how the word the way is understood. So on Monday I had uh, drove down to Amori on the south southern end of Lake Topol and uh, for a meeting with the bishops and the vicar general and the archdeacons and uh, just to make sure I knew exactly where I was going I plugged the address into Google Maps and it showed me the way. A surprising way. Not the way I thought I was going to go at all. I thought I was going to go through Rokodor and Topo and round that side, but no, 
I needed to go to Rotorua because they have much cheaper petrol than Taupo, like 50 cents a litre cheaper. Uh, I've already been tricked once by that nasty prices they have down there. So I went to Rotorua and I filled up there and then Google Maps told me a different way, turn right and head off towards State Highway 1. I was like, oh, that's a surprise. So off we went. That's how we often use the word, the way. That's the way to get to Amore. That's the way to get to heaven. But there are other ways of understanding this word. So, one of my favourite TV programmes at the moment is The Mandalorian, which I'm sure you have all watched. Probably, oh, there we go, there are one or two. Excellent. So, uh, this is a series set in the Star Wars universe. And it's about a group of people who come from the, the planet Mandalore, which is being destroyed by the Empire, uh, and they're in exile. Uh, and it's the story of one of them and, and how they kind of regather. That's where I'm up to in the story at the moment. Um, and one of the phrases they use all the time is, this is the way. Now they're not talking about a map or a road or a bridge. They're talking about their way of life. The way of the Mandalorian. What shapes them? What defines them? This is the way. This is our way. This is the way of the Mandalorian. And I want to suggest that when Jesus says, I am the way... That's what he's talking about. Not a road, not a map, but a way of life. The thing that marks us out. Many of the commentators that I read suggest that this is what Jesus means when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Just as the Mandalorian was living the way of the man of Mandalore, Jesus was living the way of God. And in living the way, John, in living in the way he has, Jesus has shown any who might want to see the truth of who God is. In living that way, we meet God. So one of the big things of John's Gospel is, the Father is in me, I'm in the Father. If you know me, you know the Father. Right from the very beginning. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, the Word was with God. That's just right through. So if you want to know who God is, look at how Jesus lives. That's the big message of John's Gospel. And it's the heart of what he is saying here. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Or, as one of the commentators that I read puts it, the way of Jesus is the embodiment of the dream and hope of God. The way of Jesus is the embodiment of the dream and hope of God. When we live the way of Jesus, we too live the way, we too live the dream and hope of God. And, when, and we will come to know the truth of God and participate in the abundant life God dreams and hopes for this world. When we live the way of God seen in Jesus. 
And when we live this way, the way of Jesus, we begin to experience resurrection for ourselves. We begin to experience new life. Because resurrection in John's Gospel isn't something that happens after we die. It's something that starts now and carries on after we die. So this is the way we enter into resurrected life. New life. And so through the Spirit, the risen Christ is at work, is at work in us and through us. And as we join others living the way of Jesus, we join others offering God's hope around the world. And some of those others may not even know they are part of the way. Because they are living the way of God without knowing it. Some of them without ever having heard about Jesus or the gospel. Because God is at work in them as well, living the way. And finally, we know that when we have done what is ours to do, we will be drawn back into the heart of God, abiding deeply in the compassion and love of God. So the invitation of Easter then is to know the way, to live the way, and to see where else in the world the way is being lived. Now in fact, the first disciples, the first followers of Christ, were called people of the way. They weren't called Christians at all. That came a bit later in Antioch. And we can read about that in Acts. People of the way. Not a road, but a way of life. This is what marks us out as separate. So I want to go back to them. So again, I didn't write down the name of the person who wrote this. We must be people of the way, being the dream and hope of God as we participate in abundant life while here on earth and together. So just a final comment and then some questions for you. So the final comment is, sometimes we really struggle to see God in Jesus. And one of the commentaries said, that raises two questions for us. The first is, maybe we've made Jesus too small. and We don't really appreciate what Jesus is doing. That he is the embodiment of the dream and hope of God. That when we live his way, we meet God. So maybe we need to have a bigger understanding of Jesus, apart from, through his death, we get into heaven. And the second comment was, or maybe our picture of God is too big. What do they mean by that? Well, we talk about God being all-powerful, and yet Jesus died on a cross, powerless, vulnerable. It doesn't fit with our understanding of who God is. And yet, there it is. You meet, we meet God in Jesus. In his vulnerability, in his powerlessness, both when he's born as a baby and dies on a cross. Maybe it's a bit of both. Following Jesus is quite hard work. So I have some thoughts at the end. So I'm going to invite you to have a conversation, and you might want to have a conversation about 
how these words help us see the risen Christ among us, active in our world this Easter. Or you might want to talk about how these words offer hope for us in our uncertainty and fear. Or you might want to talk about something else I talked about. So I'll give you a few minutes to turn around and have a conversation with the people next to you.